Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. And what I want to do this morning, as I start the message, I want to give you a very, very important date to remember. In fact, you may want to even get your pen out and write this date down because this is a very, very important date. The date is July the 23rd, 2043. July the 23rd, 2043. Now, just so you'll know, that day will be a Thursday, and the sun is going to rise that morning at 615, and the sun will set that afternoon at 826. If you do the calculation, there'll be 14 hours and, uh, and one minute of sunshine for that day. That particular day will be the 204th day of the year, and there'll only be 161 days of the year remaining. Now, if you're, if you're wondering now why that date is such an important date, is because that is the date of my projected death. That is the date of my projection. Now, I know it bothers me as well. I, I, I'm only going to be 80 years old, and if that be true, then I've only got 21 more Christmases and 21 more Thanksgivings, just to be honest with you. I really thought I was going to live to be a lot older. I guess that's what pastoring a church will do for you. Uh, I, I saw a website recently that was called deathclock.org. Deathclock. Org. And what you do, you go to that website, you answer a few very simple questions, and then you hit the calculate button. And they will calculate the day, your projected day of death. Now let me tell you this, there are all kind of these websites out there, and I had to go through four or five to find one that would give me at least to 80 years old to live. And to be honest with you, I didn't mind going through several websites till I could find one that would give me at least four more years to live. Some of those websites had me out of here at the tender age of only 76 years old. I don't want to die when I'm 76 years old, and if I have to go to some different websites to get four more years, I'll do that. Uh, July the 23rd, 2043. Now I know I'm like you and I get it. There's no website that can actually calculate how long that we have to live and the exact day that we're going to die. I get that. But the one thing I think we all know is the fact that someday... One day, somewhere out there, we are all going to have to die. I read recently these st statistics. Listen to this. Every year on the earth, 56 million people die every year. Now, you break it down. That's roughly 4,679,453 a month, or that's 153,425 a day, or 6,393 every hour, or 106 people, almost two people die every second. Somewhere, somehow, death is going to get us. You know, let's just face it, I may not have till July the 23rd, 2043 to live. I may not even make it to July the 23rd, 2023. I don't know. And neither do you. We just recently celebrated, or I say celebrated, we commemorated uh, the tragedy of 9-11. And on that particular day, 2,977 people were killed. You think those people got up that morning and headed off to work and those twin towers or the Capitol building or, or they got on that plane and maybe was off to do their day's business. You think they got up that morning thinking that they were going to die? 
I don't believe that. I think they got up that Tuesday morning. They made their way to their jobs or the airport or wherever they had to do that day thinking this was just going to be another day of their life when it proved to be the last day of their lives. One of these days, I don't know when. One of these days, I don't know how, but it will be our last day. And here's what's so sad to think about it. It could be sooner than we think. Did you realize this morning as we sit here in this building today that the casket that will house your body after you die may have already been built? Do you realize this morning the clothes that you may wear as they place your body in the casket for your funeral may already be hanging in the closet? Have you ever stopped to think about the flowers that they'll put on top of your casket may have already been cut and are down at the flower shop? Have you ever thought that the gas that will power the hearse to carry your remains to the graveyard may already be in the tank? Have you ever stopped to think about how soon life could be over? I know what you're thinking about this morning, preacher. You just come back from vacation. What in the world has happened to you? But no, it's a reality. Death is real. Let me read you a couple of verses here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as we begin the message this morning. Look at verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then I want you to look at verse number 2, the first phrase. It says this, a time to be born and a time to die. The Scripture very plainly says to you and me, there's a time of your birth. Now, my time of birth was December the 19th of 1962. You can put your time of birth. There's a time. Everybody in this room has been born. Everybody in this room has a date for your birth. Every one of us do. But just as sure as we have a date and a time for our birth, there will be a time of our death. Just as sure as our birth brought us into the world, death will take us out of this world. Let me show you an interesting verse that I found the other day. Look at this verse right here, and it says this, For death is come up into our windows. Now, death in the Bible is likened to a number of things, but I think in that text, and in the context of that text, that death is actually likened unto a peeping tom. Now, we all hear on the news occasionally about people that get caught out peeping into other people's windows. And, and uh, you know, normally you'll find people that do stuff like that are hooked on pornography and they're sexual predators and all that kind of stuff. But I think in that text that we're told that death is honestly like a peeping tom. Every night when you and I go to twist the blinds or pull the curtain shut, let's just be mindful of the fact that standing out there in the yard is the person of death and he's looking in our windows and he's waiting for the opportunity to seize our lives from us. You know, really death got on your trail the day you were born. The only problem is the day you were born, death was way behind but it seems like if life goes along and we continue down the, the journey of life, the harder we run, the more death begins to catch up to us. 
Life has a tendency of slowing us down. And as we begin to slow down, death that was so far away at, at a great distance when we were born, death begins to catch up. And it gets closer and closer and closer until one day He'll lay His icy fingers of death a hold of us. He'll seize us and our life will be over. Death is on our trail. There is a time to die. Well, in the light of that truth now, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and in the light of the fact that we are all death-bound, I want to show you three things that we should be doing while we live. All right? Somebody once said this. You know, there's a date of our birth and a date of our death. And what happens in between those times is called life. And life is full of opportunities. And while we have the opportunities, we should seize those opportunities of life. And we should do our best to please and honor God during that period of time between birth and between death. I'm preaching this morning just to say to anybody in this room that we only have a short time. Life is short. We only have a very short span of life. And we better make sure that we get ready for eternity during this walk of life. Because I'm here to tell you that this same book over in chapter 11, verse number 3, says something to the effect that as a tree falls, so shall it lie. In other words, after death, the time of opportunity is then ceased. It's over. There are no opportunities after death. Only during life. Do we have the opportunities to get ourselves right and prepared to meet God? So it is in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I want to give you three truths regarding this subject of time to die. Let's talk a little bit about life. First of all, I want you to look with me there in verse 19 and verse number 20. And in the light of the fact that we're going to die, we should contemplate the mortality of life. We should contemplate the mortality of life. Of life. Now look at verse 19 and verse number 20. Here's what the Bible said. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they all have one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place, all are of the dust, and, and all turn to the dust again. Now, there's one thing that you and I have in common with the animals, and that is we all, just like the animals, die, so does humanity. Now, I get it. I'm like you. I believe God has an order to everything that God does. There is an order to His creation. And what I mean by that is mankind is more than a beast. Mankind is just not an animal. In God's scale, grand scale of things, mankind is above the animals. Let me see if I can lay it out, God's order of creation. Let me see if I can lay that out for you to help you to understand what Solomon is saying here. Now, of course, we know at the very top of the, of, of the, of the grand scale is God Himself. So there's God, there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. Now look at me. There isn't God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. There is God, there is Jesus, and there is the Holy Spirit. They're all three the same. They're all three God. Can I have an amen? amen. We believe that. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and that Word is just another name for Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. 
Now, you and I, we don't serve three gods. We serve one God, but that one God is manifest in three ways. So there's God, there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. And then right out underneath them are the angels that God has created. And then right underneath the angels is humanity. And right underneath humanity are the beasts of the field. And right underneath the beasts of the field are the plants and the, and the vegetation of the earth. And right underneath the plants and the vegetation of the earth are the, are the microscopic. Can I use the word cooties and you know what I'm talking about? There are the microscopic whatever, cooties. That, that, are, that are in the soil of the earth. Now, I, I, again, there's God, there's angels, there's humanity, there's animals, there's plant life, there's microscopic life. You know, if I were to go back there this morning, as far as I know, we have clean water to drink here at the church, but I guarantee if you went back there and took a, 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 a test tube of that water and you put it under a microscope and you fixed it up and got it, you'd probably see some little stuff swimming around in that water. That's that microscopic stuff that I'm talking about. But here's the thing about it. Mankind is above the animals. We are not animals. Can I tell you, maybe one of the reasons mankind acts like an animal is because he's been taught in school that he's nothing but an animal. But you're not an animal. You are a created being of God Almighty. And listen to this. When those of us who are humans get saved by the grace of God, God elevates us then above the angels. In fact, the Bible said one of these days that God's redeemed people are actually going to judge the angels. So when I got born again, listen, I got saved by the grace of God. God took me as being underneath the angels. And when I got washed in the blood of Jesus, God placed me over. In fact, I have angels that attend to me, believe that or not. I mean, it's unbelievable. But here's the thing. We do have something in common with the animals, and that is we all die. We all go back to the dust from whence we are made. And, and, and here's, here's the major difference. You know, animals, animals have a body and they have a soul. Now, the soul is the seat of our emotions. Our animals have emotions. You ever pull home, maybe you haven't been home in a while, and you pull home and there meets your old dog, and I mean, he's standing there with his tail wagging. He's just so happy to see you. We used to have an old dog. His name was Brownie, and I declare that dog would smile at you. We would pull up. That old dog's tail would start wagging and, and the corner of his mouth would go up like that. And you know what he was saying to the man? I, he, said, he said, Master, I'm so glad you're home. He'd just smile. You could scold him if he did something wrong. Maybe if he drug up the neighbor's trash in the yard or whatever. You could scold him. He'd put his head down. Animals have emotions. But the thing that elevates mankind above the animals is the fact I do have a body. I do have a soul. I'm an emotional person, but I also have a spirit. And that spirit is that part of me that God can inhabit and save by His grace and carry to heaven to live with Him forever and ever and ever. So I am above the angels, but the, one, uh, the animals. But the one thing I have in common with animals is guess what? I'm going to have to die someday. Look at verse number 21. Solomon seems to indicate this. Verse 21, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast 
that goeth downward to the earth. In other words, when a, an animal dies, and I know you love your dogs and cats, and I'm not down on you for that. I've had dogs that's died, and I've cried. And I mean, I get all that. I know we're close to our animals, and, and, uh, and I get all that. But you know something? When an animal dies, that's it. But when a human being dies, look at me. That's just the beginning. The spirit of man goes upward, goes out to meet the God who created it. The spirit of the beast goes downward. That's it. And with all that being said, because we know that there's a time that we're going to have to die, we should contemplate the mortality of life. God has placed all kind of reminders around us that life is temporal. Did you realize every time you drive by a graveyard, that's God's testimony. Hey, listen to me. God is saying to us, hey, wake up. Life's not forever. One day you'll be in that graveyard. Every time you drive by a cemetery, that's God's testimony. Life is temporal. It's not forever. One day you'll be in that, in that cemetery. That, every time we ride by a hospital, that's God's way of saying, these old bodies are breaking down. These old bodies will get sick. These old bodies will only last for so long. You've heard me say this before. My feet only have so many steps. My lungs only have so many breaths. My heart only has so many beats. And I'm going to be out of here. And so are you. Hospitals testify. Rest homes tell us. Every time we drive by one, God has said, Hey, life is temporal. Even the seasons of the year speak of the brevity of life. I mean, you stop and think about it. Back, what, March 21st, 22nd, somewhere, we clicked over, we crossed over in the spring. And the trees begin to bud, and the leaves begin to shoot out, and the... And the, and the flowers begin to push forth from the earth and they bloom so beautifully. It's springtime. Life is, is at its zenith. Life is coming up. And then we hit summertime and boy, I'm telling with the hot, hazy days of summertime and there are the trees and the roses and the, the grass needs mowing. Life has blossomed. But no sooner does spring and summer come, we move to fall. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's already a tinge of a little color to the leaves right now. And I'm telling you, things are beginning to change. The air is beginning to get a little bit cooler and it won't be long until God will pour out His brilliant paints upon the trees of the fields and the beautiful oranges and the reds and the yellows will burst forth and then it won't be long until those leaves will begin to turn loose from those trees and we'll have to start raking our yards again. It's fall and life is beginning to change. And then, of course, we move to winter time. And winter time is a time of death. Things begin to freeze up. The ground freezes and life pulls itself in and the trees become barren and the flowers don't bloom. And winter time is a time of death. And I'm here to tell you, friend, it's a very short time for me and you to live in the springtime of our life. Those days of riding our bikes and playing from sun up till sundown. It's springtime. Life is at its fullest. And then we move into those teenage years and those years, 20 years and 30s of our life and Boy, there's summertime and there's so much to be done. But then things begin to change and we move into the fall season of life and the old body begins to hurt and things begin to break down and things that you thought never would happen to you begins to happen and your mind says you can still do it but your body says, excuse my English, there ain't no way things are changing and it won't be long until the... 
the cold, chilling winds of winter will begin to blow and it won't be long until the steps slow and the heart slowed and death comes and seizes life from it. Boy, I'm telling you, we better wake up and understand. We ain't here forever, friend. Life is short. We need to contemplate the mortality of life. You're not here forever, friend. I know, I know you say, well, preacher, when I, something happens to me, I'm going to have them to hook me up on life support. Friend, there's only so much life support can do. And life will be over. Contemplate the mortality of life. Then I thought about this. Seeing that death is coming, we should not only contemplate the mortality of life, but number two, we should cherish the moments of life. Cherish the moments of life. Since life is so temporal, life is so short, we should try to enjoy life and not have to endure life. Look over the same chapter, Ecclesiastes 3, and look what he said there in verse number 12 and verse 13. I know that there's no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to, and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor, it is the gift of God. Solomon says we ought to enjoy the moments of our very fast, very fleeting lives. I'm afraid that too many of us, far too many of us, enjoy, endure life instead of enjoy life. And I get it, man. I get it. Life is full of problems. Life is full of stresses. Life is full of burdens. And I'm not minimizing any of that. But how many times do you and I focus on all that's wrong with our lives and forget about what is right with our lives. How many times do we focus far too much on what we don't have and far too little on what we do have? And we fail to realize the important things of life. I have a preacher friend of mine over in Tennessee. Listen to this story over in Tennessee. And he told my preacher friend this story who in turn told me this story. And I think it really... It really illustrates how we should enjoy life. He said this. He said the, uh, there's a rest home nearby that he goes and visits some of his shut-ins in. And he said, every time I would go to that rest home and that glass door would slide open, there was always a lady sitting there in a the wheelchair. And she would say this when the door slid open. She would say, Jimmy? Jimmy? And he said every time he went to visit that rest home, that lady would be sitting in that front lobby. And he said he could tell, he could tell by just looking at her that she couldn't see, that she was blind either by age or maybe some kind of something had happened to her, but she was blind. But she would lift her head and she would say, Jimmy, Jimmy. And, uh, and he said it happened every time he went to visit that rest home. And so he said one day it just got to bearing on his mind a little bit, so he asked a lady, a nurse lady, one of the aides there, said, what is this lady that always is asking up here when I, the door slides open? She's always saying, Jimmy, Jimmy. Oh, she said, preacher, what you don't understand is that lady has a son by the name of Jimmy, and of course she can't see, but every morning she'll get herself into that chair and she'll feel her way down the hall and she'll get into that, that, uh, that uh, waiting area there and every time that door flies open, she thinks it's her son Jimmy. Let's come to see her. And uh, my preacher friend said, boy, Jimmy must live a long way from here. She said, no. She said, preacher, just to be honest with you, Jimmy only lives about 10 minutes from here, but he never comes and sees his mama. 
And every time she hears that door slide open, she says, Jimmy, Jimmy. Well, the preacher felt sorry. This preacher felt sorry for this lady, and he, he just went and sat down and struck a conversation. So every time he would go to visit his shut-ins there, he would visit that same lady, and eventually the lady died. And uh, he said that uh, because he had made friendship with her, the, they decided to have her funeral there. The, the rest home actually, actually had the funeral there at church. And he said on the day of her funeral, they pushed her casket in down the aisle and set it there. And then the family come in. And he said her, 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 her boy, Jimmy, came in. He was saying, Mama, Mama. But it was too late. He failed to understand how important that life is. He failed to understand that we have very few and precious are the opportunities of life to love and to laugh and to live. He failed to understand that there's, uh, there are problems in life and there are burdens and, and there are things that go wrong in life. But the truth of the matter is it's so short we ought to do our best to enjoy what little bit of life there. Now I'm not talking about going off into sin and getting drunk and frying your brains on drugs and jumping from one bed to the next bed, one motel. You understand what I'm saying. We ought to enjoy life as the people of God and do it in the right way. Boy, we ought to cherish the moments of our life. We ought to contemplate the mortality of our lives. But then number three, most importantly, look at this. We ought to consider the maker of our lives. Boy, if there's one thing I'd encourage you with every fiber of my being to do is while you have the opportunity, you ought to make peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You ought to understand that there is a God above them clouds. There's a God up yonder in the sides of the north. And one of these days, we're going to have to face that God. One of these days, we're going to have to stand before that God and give an account of our lives. And that's what Solomon meant there. If you'll look at verse 11 of this text, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 11. Notice this, He hath made everything beautiful in their time. Now watch this. He hath, all, he hath set the world in their heart. Now what does that mean? He has set the world in their heart. Well, you got to look up the word world. And it's the word which means ages. We could actually say it's the word that means eternity. So I could really read verse 11 without doing it any harm like this. He has set eternity in their heart. And the point that Solomon is making is this. Since we are eternal beings... And there is an eternal God that we're going to have to face. Nothing in the temporal world will ever bring satisfaction because God has put eternity in our hearts. Nothing in this world will ever truly satisfy. Oh, I know, I know we're living in a day when people think, man, if I could just have a little bit more, I'd be satisfied. But hear me, and hear me well. All the money you can muster all the assets you can acquire, all the degrees that you can desire, all the cars that you can corner, all the gusto that you can grab, all the riches that you can retain, all the property that you can possess will never truly satisfy you because God has set eternity in our hearts. Nothing on this world. In fact, this man Solomon is proof positive 
that nothing will ever satisfy. I could go back and tell you a little bit about his life, and I'm going to wrap this thing up, but here's old Solomon. Solomon got, uh, Solomon got frustrated with life. He's writing Ecclesiastes now as an older man, completely frustrated with life. I mean, just frustrated with life. And he tells us back in chapter 2 a little bit about his life. I can see him one day, he gets up and he puts on his college letter jacket, grabs his book and he heads off to school. He's going to try to find something of satisfaction and wisdom. Boy, Solomon was wise, wasn't he? I mean, the Bible speaks of the Proverbs that he wrote and he had knowledge of trees and birds and animals and fields. Oh, he was a wise man. But boy, I'll tell you, all that book learning, all those degrees could never bring satisfaction to the heart of old Solomon. So watch this. He pulls off his letter jacket, sets down his books, and he grabs a three-piece suit and an attache briefcase, and he heads off into the world of business. And Solomon said back in chapter 2 that he built great houses and great buildings. and, and great. He gave his life over to business and, and give his life over to making a living. And yet at the end of the day, Solomon said that could not bring. He said, I got more than all that were before me. And I'm just here to tell you, I couldn't find satisfaction in any of that. So watch this now. So then he takes off his three-piece suit, sets down his briefcase, and he puts on a leisure suit. Anyhow, he's going to, I, I see it, one of them polyester suits like men used to wear back in the 1970s with white shoes on and his collar hanging out like John Travolta. And he heads off into the party life. Man, he thinks, I can't find anything in wisdom. I can't find anything in wealth. I'll find it sure enough out here in wine. And he gives himself to the party life. And I mean, it's just one big old party, night after night after night at the palace. And I mean, man, people laying around drunk in the yard and the loud music blaring. And he's giving himself to the party life. But at the end of all that, Solomon said there was no satisfaction in that. So watch this. Finally... He takes off his clothes. And he, and he looked for it in wisdom. And he looked for it in wealth. And he looked for it in wine. And he said, I can't find it. So here's what I'll do. I'll try women. And he took his clothes off then. And he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. I mean, he gave himself to immorality. He gave himself to all of that, what people think in our day today will bring them such great satisfaction. And he gave himself to all that sexual pleasure. 1,000 women, and probably no telling how many other women that Solomon had on the side, and he gave himself to all of that. But I want you to go back to chapter 2. I'll read you one verse, and I'll wrap this up. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. The first four words. Therefore, I hated life. Hey, can I stop and tell you, friend, that you can try wisdom. You can get all the degrees that you can. Try wisdom. Go to college. Spend college. Spend all your days learning more. You can set all that down. You can get wealth. Man, you can go out here and build buildings and make money hand over fist and give yourself to wealth. Then you can you can give yourself to wine and the party life. And I mean one nightclub to the next nightclub and one bottle to the next bottle and one party to the next party. You can give yourself to all that. And then you hear me and hear me well. You can give yourself, you men can give yourself to all the women you want to give yourself to. You ladies can give yourself 
to all the men that you want to give yourself to. You can live it up. You can think, man, this is life. I'm having fun. But I'm here to tell you, at the end of all that, Solomon, by his own testimony, said, good night. I hated life. You know why? God has said eternity. And bless your heart, it ain't what's under the sun that's going to bring you true and everlasting pleasure. It's what's beyond the sun. How many times are we reading this book over and over again? I, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. It ain't what's under the sun that's going to make you happy. It's what's on the other side of the sun. And that, and him and him alone will bring you true happiness and joy in life. Oh, friend, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. If we were to meet back here a year from now, and let's just say this, July, what's today's day? Not July, what's today's day? September 25th. So let's say next year we're going to meet back here on September the 25th, 2023. If the Lord doesn't come, we're going to meet right back here in this building. Every one of us, we promise to be back here next year, September 21st, 2023. There'll be one or two, maybe three or four, maybe five, maybe more than that be missing because there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And the most important thing you can do in your life is you can give yourself to the one who's made life. Or as Solomon said over in chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Remember God in your life. Make room for Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer.